Months ago, we started in Hebrews 1.1 when it said long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor by all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefit those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us all continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you, the more earnestly do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Today we round the last leg of our final lap, the bell lap, the last honey meters. Today we call for our finishing kick as we close toward the finish line. This is our last study in the book of Hebrews after almost a year. This is the third to the last message I'll have the privilege of preaching to you in this season of my calling. As we have slowly made our way toward this final study together in Hebrews, it has been quite amazing to see how many seasoned servants have been brought back into my life and several who are new relationships established in my transitional days. With the wise counsel of trusted men, the gracious words of encouragement from new friends, and the revisiting of key authors 
whose theological works have been a source of insight and motivation for me for many, many years. The text before us in this final sprint to the finish grows clear and clear. Forty-plus years ago, Linda and I began recognizing a most instructive pattern in systematic expository preaching. Rather than finding it necessary over the years to craft a topical message to address present challenges or issues, we have time after time found that within a week or two of the very subject would appear in the already planned chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse preaching schedule. That occurrence over the years has repeated itself time after time. So it should therefore be of no surprise that when I laid out the preaching plan for Hebrews more than a year ago, my final message as your senior pastor on this book would bring us to this text on this day. I have read this chapter many, many times over the years, but have never noticed these two verses, at least with the awareness I saw them a couple of weeks back. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. The search team continues to look for the next senior shepherd for Faith Bible Church. I look forward to the day when I'm invited back to join the other elders on this platform to lay our hands on him and commission him to the shepherding call that God will place upon his shoulders. So it's with that clear conscience text in my mind that I desire to follow the example of Dr. Mark Dever, the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and the founder of the Nine Marks Ministry. In his fourth edition of his great book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, Dr. Dever includes in the appendix a letter he penned to the pastoral search committee of a church in which he had previously served as their senior pastor. This morning, I want to highlight the great principles of Hebrews 13, which the apostolic writer put before them for their ongoing growth and strength in their continual battle against discouragement. If these biblical truths are faithfully applied, the future of our fellowship, Faith Bible Church, will be blessed. But this notice, Deborah narrowed his list to nine. The author to the Hebrews included, I think, 15. 15 principles for finishing the race well. Principle number one, always remember that we are a family, the faith family. We are brothers and sisters, not distant cousins who see each other once in a while. We're a family. In the early days, the stewardship chairman's wife would remind Eric Davidson periodically that we have not sung the family song lately. Let brotherly love continue. We talked about that last week. We'll not spend a lot of time reviewing that. But it is a radical commitment to self-sacrificing care one for another. Don't forget, we are the faith family. Second, remember that your incredible resources are given to you by the Lord for the investment in the lives of others. Do not neglect to show hospitality. As we said last week, hospitality is not a long-range plan of inviting 
choice guest to your home to put on your fine china and your cloth napkins. It is using the resources God has graced you with to meet the needs that become evident in the lives of others. God has blessed Faith Bible Church over the years with incredible resources. The one secret that we've not been able to share is the number of ways in our benevolence we have been able to come alongside brothers and sisters in need. We have in the past been able to buy cars for, for single moms. We've been able to buy medical supplies for families who could not afford that and airline tickets for brothers and sisters who needed to travel across the country in a time of crisis. We've been able to help people stay in their houses with their families because you faithfully and graciously, generously gave to the Lord. We were able to plant two churches together, adopt one and plant one. We were able to respond when someone walked into the post office in Manly and said, you know anybody would be interested in buying six acres on the corner? And they set a price and the price was too high, but they called and said, that the county tried their best to buy that and they're not willing to sell and they're willing to sell now. And because you were gracious and generous, we were able to write a check and secure the land where Crossroads Bible Church stands today. Remember, your incredible resources were given to you by the Lord for investment in the lives of others. Principle number three. Remember your first and primary call, he's speaking primarily to leaders here, but to each of us is to be shepherds one to another. We are, as he said, to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Don't let them be forgotten. We're talking about those who are there because of their faith in Jesus Christ and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. We are shepherds, under-shepherds. John 21, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. We are to lead, we are to feed, we are to protect, and we are to defend. Our brothers and sisters don't need us. I, Chuck Swindoll has this great statement. He said, the Christian army is the only army that tends to shoot its own wounded. God's plan for us is that when someone is mistreated, that that is, a, that is a rallying call that we will come to the defense and the protection of one another. The fourth principle that grows out of the text is remember to celebrate marriages and to work diligently to restore those that are broken. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. We need to continue to make marriage a high standard. As we said last week, and this is just review for the first six, and then we move to fresh material. If there is an area that we are going to be challenged on as a church in the days ahead, it is going to be in this revelation from the Word on the meaning of marriage and the defense of such. And then rather than letting marriages just simply fade away or shatter and break, it is a call of God for us to graciously step in and do all that we can to restore that 
which is broken. And now I'm going to go off on a pastoral bunny trail. You're used to that after 29 years. And make this comment. Isn't it time we bring weddings back into the church? One of the great statements about the significance and meaning of marriage is, is that it is, it is a covenant created by God, not a construct created by culture. We exchange vows, and I was just meeting with a young couple this week in preparation for their wedding and reminded them that you are declaring a covenant vow to God that you will live out in relationship to each other. You are not making a contract between two people that don't trust each other and therefore need to write it down so you can hold each other to it. It's a covenant before God. It just seems to me that it would be appropriate that our weddings move back into the church where we give testimony to the fact that God is the one before whom we make our vow. As I said, the older I get, the harder I have to fight against becoming a legalist, so you can just write that off as old man speak. But think about that as your children move toward marriage. What kind of a statement might we make? What that says is that Tim and his team are going to have to work harder on Fridays and Saturdays to accommodate. It's not convenient to have weddings in church, but I think it's the right thing to do, and I just encourage us, whatever we do as a church, don't waver on our conviction about marriage was created by God as a demonstration of His faithful love for us and elevate it and celebrate it for His glory. Principle number five, remember to treat the have-nots and the have-littles with the same favor you bestow on those members who are stewards of high capacity. Verses five and six, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need to be sure that the ministry is not reserved and preserved only for those who have much. James warns about that. Don't, don't show favor to those who have a lot and to those who have little, put them over in the corner. Standard for ministry and leadership should not be someone's position in the corporate world nor his balance in his debit card account. We ought to be free as a church from the love of money and that is demonstrated by how we care one for another. We have got to be a church for all. We, we are so uniquely blessed as a church that According to the standards of the world, we all live in the top 3% wealth-wise of the world around us. But then within that, there is always this danger that those who have resource that perhaps we might have need of at some point receive a finer treatment. I'll never forget, there was a particular couple in the church They had been faithful for a long time, and, and uh, they had called and said, our, our marriage is just... It's really going through a hard time. Would you have any time to meet with us? And so I met with them the first time and heard their story and kind of thought we had navigated through some troubled uh, waters. And uh, a couple of weeks later, he called and said, you know, we need to come see you again. And we just said, and maybe we'll make it work out. And uh, so they came the second time and 
we spent another 90 minutes together and they left and I thought we had made headway and then a couple weeks later he called and says yeah we got to come see you again so the third time we're sitting in my office at the gray table and she just lit into me she said the reason you're blaming me for everything is because he gave $100,000 to the church building program and you're afraid to confront him with the issues he needs to address. <laughs> I'll never forget. I looked at him and I said, you did? <laughs> and she said, you didn't know that? I said, no, I had no idea. I don't know who gives the money. And after that, we were able to work the marriage out just fine. In her mind, the fact that he had made a major contribution would condition how we would address biblical issues. We need to be careful that we don't. As Paul said, I have coveted no one's clothing and no one's paycheck, Acts chapter 20. Now, as we move into this next section, God's key to the ongoing spiritual vitality of Faith Bible Church, of this Bible Church, where we have just spent 12 chapters working through their struggle, the pull to go back to what life was before, to defect from the faith and from following Christ, the key is that he would raise up shepherds after his own heart. That's the Holy Spirit's key to church vitality. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through the scriptures, for the care of the people of God, God raises up shepherds who look out for his people. Jeremiah 3, 15, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I want you to notice that this author, with all the things he could say in this last hundred meter dash, three times he highlights the key role of leaders. Notice verse 7. Remember your leaders. Who are those? Those who spoke the word of God. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls they will give an account and then he says it over here again in verse 24 greet all your leaders and all the saints so what he says next is it's called an inclusio or it's like a bookend so he states it here and he closes with it here and then everything in between it is to be read in light of that alignment. So this, I'm preaching to the choir, but primarily the point that he's going to make is that the future health of Faith Bible Church rests upon the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, the power and the authority of his word, and the servant heart of those that he calls to leadership. So the sixth principle is Remember that your primary teaching tool as a leader is the example you set by your own obedience to the truth. Walk the talk. Or as I was taught 45 years ago in Bible college, these truths are better caught than taught. I, I think in my, I, I jammed a four-year program into five years in Bible college, and I can remember three speakers, we had chapel five days a week, I can remember three chapel speakers and give you a, a bit of a sketch 
about the message that they preached. But if you name all of my professors, I can describe their character to the T. That's what Paul's talking about. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God and consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, and he repeats it again in chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ Jesus. There's an article floating around on the internet right now on the megachurch versus the megachurch. And the movement toward church becomes impersonal and becomes digital and it becomes live stream and, and all of that. As I've told you before, when, when Berean was planning North Point Church and uh, Pastor Brian, and there, were only, there were only rare times in 29 years where, where, where my heart would kind of flutter just a little bit, and this was one of those. Brian took me out to lunch at Laszlo's, and he said, I, I, what our elders think we need to do is that faith, we need to find somebody to take your role at Faith Bible, and Faith Bible and Lincoln Berea need to send you north to plant a church. And I was like, I'm kind of into church planting, so I was intrigued. I can still remember saying to Brian, I said, of all the churches in Lincoln that could do a simulcast or a live stream or whatever, a video, campus you guys can you have all the resources and they have you and so you could do that I'll never forget Brian said Tom he said what I am as a pastor is not what you see on the platform when it's a video cast or it's a simulcast all you know about the speaker is what you see on the screen but he said as pastors it's who we are it's how we respond to our family when church is about to start and a crisis arrives it's what we drive when we pull into the parking lot. And it's, it's how we respond to the people that want something from us or whatever. He said, it's our lives. So I say that to say, leaders must be amongst the people. I remember my dad came back from visiting Israel. He, he never got, he only got to visit one time. But he said the shocker to him was when he got there, he thought that shepherds were like that that picture where he's carrying a lamb and a perfectly formed crooked staff and all of the sheep are just marching along in order behind him. And he said all of a sudden what he saw was that the shepherd walked amongst the flock. And they, he would just simply talk in low tones. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. And he, would just, and he, was, he wanted to move them to another grazing spot. He would just talk and he would just start to move and the sheep would just kind of go along that way. The thing that shocked my dad, and when I was there in the year 2000, I saw the same thing. The shepherd has to be among the sheep. If you don't smell like sheep, you're not a shepherd. You're a rancher. <laughs> and you know what they smell like. Sorry. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ Jesus. Well, you've got to be close enough to see what does it look like? What does a Christian life really look like in shoe leather? That's what church leaders are. Well, who's the church leader? That's the one who teaches you God's word, who declared to you the word of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have 
in us. Or 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Watch this one. Not domineering over those in your charge. No lamb is going to follow a shepherd that's abusive. But be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The ongoing spiritual vitality of any local church rests upon the faithfulness of those that God calls to be shepherds. Visible, observable, imitatable walks with Christ. In the last three weeks, I've been challenged twice to write a book. I've had two different people say, I've got a publisher and everything ready to go. I'm thinking, that ain't going to happen. But if it did, it would be Shepherdology 101. Principle number seven. Remember that true worship is simply making much of Jesus because only Jesus never changes. I still, and if I had, I, as I told him in the prayer circle this morning, there are five sermons here that you're getting that all packed into one. I'm trying to understand. He goes from remember your leaders to verse eight. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't forget, he is the only one that doesn't change. Everything else in life changes. We all change. Some for the better, some for the worse, but we all change. But true worship is making much of Jesus. When you leave a gathering of the saints, you need to ask yourself the question, what do I now know or what was I reminded of about Jesus that I had forgotten before the service began? The author of the Hebrews elevated Jesus above everything. He said he is greater than the angels in chapter 1. He's greater than the prophets. He said he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's even greater than Melchizedek in the Aaronic priesthood. Jesus is greater than all. The future health of Faith Bible Church rests on making much of Jesus. Principle number eight. Remember that heresy moves slyly, silently, and subtly. He says here in Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. False teaching, subtle. Again, I'm... I'm just, I'm just speaking my heart for a church that I dearly love. Bible is our middle name for a reason. I had a brother 
joined me for coffee a few weeks ago. He said, I want to start a Bible study. And I was suggested that I use this book or this book. And I said, what about this book? Now that, that shouldn't cause anybody heartburn or distress. But I, I guess, like I said, you could fire me if it does. <laughs> Books about the book have always got to be measured on the basis of the book. And so if people are going to not be led astray by false teaching, Ephesians chapter 4, then we need to make it our priority to help them learn how to read the book. We've got to be people of the book. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Paperbacks are great, but be people of the book. Chapter 3, coffee again this week with a ministry leader. He said all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan's strategy was revealed. He hasn't changed his playbook down through all the years, and we still fall for it. The first thing he said to Eve was, has God really said? And that's been the heartbeat of the author to the letter to the Hebrews. They're floundering and wandering and they're struggling. And they're asking themselves the question, has God really said? So five times he gives them a warning. Don't drift from the word. Don't doubt the word. Don't defect from the word. Don't despise the word. Don't deny the word. All the way through. The point is, is that Heresy comes in slyly, silently, and subtly, and it is only detectable if you know the word. That's why Paul in Acts chapter 20 calls the elders, knows the 20 miles north, because he didn't want to get all hung up in all the goodbyes and the tears and all that in Ephesus. And, and he said, Watch over yourselves and over the flock for which he has made you shepherds, the flock that he purchased with his shed blood. And be on the alert, for even from among yourselves will rise up wolves in sheep's clothing, if possible, leading astray even the elect. We're not immune to the effort of Satan to raise the question, has God really said? Someone in an article this last week said that if we're not going to lose the younger generation, then we have got to come to our senses and begin to embrace evolutionary science as true. Because it has proven that the first six chapters of the Bible are simply metaphorically used. Has God really said? Or are the distinct responsibilities that God gives men and the responsibilities He gives women and how He blends all of that together for His glory, but our culture says that's not acceptable, 
that's not popular, and therefore the church is going to feel the pressure to say, has God really said? Or the gender confusion that is going to be there, and we'll start to ask the question, has God really said? Church as strong as its leaders hold to the word of God and teach you how to read it for yourself so that the subtleties of heresy do not overwhelm. I better keep moving because the clock does. Principle nine. Remember the full sufficiency of the grace of the one who paid it all. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. The blood of sacrificial animals could never pay the penalty for our sin. It could never cover it. So there is one, the Lamb of God, who came and He died one time for all. And His death was fully sufficient to pay the penalty for all our sins. Don't forget that. Preach that. Celebrate that. Principle number 10. Remember the high cost of fully following Jesus. Verse 11. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned. This is the key phrase, outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order. They hauled him outside the city and crucified him on a hill outside the city limits to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. If churches want to be popular, they lose. They lose. Jesus said that unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot even be considered to be my disciple. We need to encourage. We need the body life. We need the strength. We need the loving care of one another because if we genuinely are willing to identify with the rejected, crucified Christ, the cost of following Him will be enormous. Principle 11. Remember that each of you is also only serving as an interim. I became the interim pastor of Faith Bible Church 29 years ago. There was always going to be a time when the baton must be passed. Notice verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. He picks up on in chapter 11, where it said that Abraham, though he faithfully followed the Lord, spent a lifetime looking for a greater city than he could find here on earth. There has to be that recognition that, that we are in a season. A generation arises. They live, they serve, they pass the baton of truth to the next, and then they die and make room for the next generation. I've concluded that one of the reasons for reading Hebrews 11 in this text, that God doesn't allow us the delight of seeing all of our dreams and aspirations realized in this life, is because if we did, we would not long for a greater city. Whatever your role in life is, whether it's at the office or in the classroom, even as a parent, you're an interim. There is someone else who is going to follow and take your place. 
Now, most of us hope that they at least let us get out of the way before they run over us, but you're just in interim. We have a home, and we're not home yet. The twelfth principle. Remember that the life of the church is always and only about Jesus. Verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. A sacrifice of praise to God. When the corporate church gathers... The name we ought to hear repeated over and over is the name of Jesus. We need to exalt and praise Him and His Father in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Worship is not about us. As I said a couple of weeks ago, if you pulled into the parking lot and said, I hope they don't sing that song they sang last week, or I hope this week they sing this song, I really like that one, then you must pause and ask yourself, who did you come to worship? Praise to his name. Principle number 13. Remember to always be incredibly gracious and outrageously generous. Verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As I've said before, one of the incredible delights of the 29 years has been how responsive you have always been to any made-known awareness of need. Opportunity comes, and you do good. You, you use what God has given you, you share it well. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, in the following verses, 43 and on, they describe what fellowship is like in the local church, and it's the sacrificial meeting of one another's needs, and we rejoice in that. It's not how much money you're able to accumulate as an individual or as a family of faith, but it's how many opportunities you're able to seize upon and needs you're able to meet, so do not neglect. It's just it's a passive, unawareness thing. It's not an intentional Heisman, but it's just don't neglect to do good and share what you have. Why? Because that pleases the Lord. And then principle number 14. Remember that your calling is a ministry of souls, not the management of a corporation. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. The great issues of the church are not, they're just simply not issues of vision casting or strategic planning or innovative leadership or initiative management or even organizational administration, it's, it's the souls of people. Remember, your calling is a ministry of the souls. Obey your leaders, submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And that, 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 that verse has, has haunted me from the day I accepted my first ministry. Someday, 
I will have to stand before the Lord and he will say, can, can you tell me why or what you did in relationship to this eternal soul to prepare them for eternity? As a pastor, my fear is that he'll mention a name and I'll say, you wouldn't have a digital of them, would you? I don't know who they are. The emphasis here is that the church is first and foremost an organism. It is a body with spiritual gifting that grows to strength by that which each joint supplies. It is, it is a, a body that needs coordination, not an organization that needs a corporation. It's, we're called to be shepherds, not ranchers, to be caring for the welfare of the souls of the flock. To do that, we have to protect them from the predators and the imposters. We have to run quickly to their rescue. We have to defend them. When they're wounded, we have to anoint their wounds. Ezekiel 34, God reproves the leaders of Israel because their sheep had wandered and nobody went looking for them. They were wounded and nobody pulled the salve of healing on their wounds. It's to this that when Peter had so grievously failed the Lord, that in John chapter 21, Jesus calls to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. And he asked him a second time, do you love me? And he said, I, I love you. And he said, and tend my sheep. And he asked him a third time, do you love me? And it grieved his heart. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. So to our leaders, principle 15, remember that you will both personally and corporately one day give an account. Not for your vision, your money management, your organizational flow charts, your observable metrics, your skillful administration how you shepherded the souls that he entrusted to your care. We will give an account for the souls of God's people. So these past 29 years, we have been blessed with a fluid team of elders along with whom I have had the blessed privilege to serve and lead. No less than 38 godly men have shouldered the responsibilities of shepherding this flock through the innumerable times of fruitful joy as well as the too many numerous seasons of deep, dark struggle. Such men as Dr. Bill Dick, Dr. Tom Dwork, Dave McCune, Dr. Scott Dwork, Dell Emerson, Ron Stolle, Dan Morgan, Wayne Fisher, Mike Cox, Doug Meyer, Rob Rexilius, Dr. David Berkheim, Brian Dahlberg, John Hannes, George Lockyer, Andy Bretz, Dave Moody, John Welch, Scott Carlson, Mike Ulrich, Larry Fell, Tim Rosehart, Kurt Carlson, Chad Parker, Michael Krause, Jason Thacker, Troy Friesen, James Wilson, Claire Fredstrom, Gary Whistle, Dave Drebo, three times, Mark Powell, David Watson, Dimitri Osichuk, Mike Hertzler, Greg Heiser, and Brad Meyer plus innumerable deacons. So the future health and spiritual vitality of Faith Bible Church will depend far less on the man the Lord brings to be your next senior shepherd, but instead on the faithfulness to the call of those who serve as elders and deacons in the days that lie immediately before us. And now into the hands of the men of the Council of Elders, the Holy Spirit appointed shepherds of this flock entrusted the ministries that will lead to our future health. So the words of the Apostle Paul to the elder 
team he dearly loved from Ephesus are the parting exhortations to our present and future elders and deacons of the faith family. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctifying. Acts chapter 20. And now this benediction. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the Eucharist, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen.